So the theme of this conversation is why would we bother studying women when we don't yet know enough about men? Yes. Yeah. Poor thing. Um, we've talked about this before in essence of research that even studies and quotation marks that are done for women in postmenopause, uh, perimenopause, often there aren't even any women in the research study um, because they feel like our hormones fluctuate too much, even though we're trying to study the hormones. So now's the time to change that conversation and i'm so happy to witness um, many women actually in the field of research trying now to navigate this um, loss of research and really trying to open this conversation around like we need to do it different now yeah and so we we got a chance to sit down with dr stacy sims she has a ted talk called women are not little men <laughs> it's a brilliant conversation mm -hmm. it's really you know she really is opening up a dialogue um regarding you know that we have to look and train or look at women differently and how they train how we move how we eat through a cycle right mm -hmm. knowing your cycle i mean this is one of mm -hmm. your favorite conversations yeah knowing your cycle even when you're moving to perimenopause menopause knowing how to connect with that cycle even though you might not be bleeding or it might be irregular just knowing your body and your physiology so that we're not comparing because we're often comparing with our partners because we're trying to do all the um, same things maybe we're eating the same moving the same and yet not getting the same results and it's because of this hormonal fluctuation that we go through every single month yeah and this is, comes back to one of our like core messages is that how, all care needs to be individualized mm -hmm. we can't make generalized statements especially when they're actually research statements based on men and apply them to everybody mm -hmm. you know especially women so what, what a brilliant conversation this was uh, we're really excited for you guys to tune in and check mm -hmm. it out yeah and let us know what your thoughts are Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So on the topic of recovery, we can't, you know, we can't just focus on what we're putting into our body, when we're putting into our body, you know, we, we have to be meeting the needs of each of us as an individual. And if we want to put muscle in our body, we got to consider what's our quality of our protein sources, how much are we getting in and, you know, and what's the difference is maybe even between men and women, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed for myself, especially stepping into perimenopause that my need for protein really went up. And that's shown by research as well. Yeah, and there's also some interesting characteristics uh, within a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when someone might need more or less protein. And mm -hmm. so, um, and then and then there's people with different eth ethical reasons for why they're choosing a certain type of diet, right? Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, well, there will always be some inconsistencies in getting those core macro or micronutrients, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so many of us will sometimes witness within ourselves some brain fog or lean muscle mass isn't there like it used to be, or just the energy levels aren't there when we're working out, whether it's yoga or HIIT workouts or anything that we're doing. So we find this one supplement has actually been like a core part of our routine every single day to help support us. And those are the essential amino acids. Yeah. So these are developed by Dr. David Minkoff. They're called Perfect Amino by a company called Body Health. And this gentleman in particular, he's he's in, in his 70s. He's ran over 40 some odd, 40, 40 plus Ironman triathlons. He's worked with the Tour de France and all sorts of athletes in all parts of the world. And the whole idea is to have a high efficiency of good quality, full spectrum of essential amino acids they're gonna deliver into your body within 20 minutes or into your bloodstream within 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so these are a powerful tool to really, you know, bypass maybe some of the deficiencies we're not getting in our diet, but also taking our training and recovery to a whole new new level. Yeah, it's one of those supplements where you notice a difference right away and you notice when you're not taking it. Yeah. So that's what convinced me. I noticed the days that I didn't have it, that I didn't feel the same from energy perspective and also memory and brain and all of those things yeah i mean he hit a big one it's just so much of modern 
you know, stressors are really playing a role on brain fog and our ability to focus. And, you know, one of the things when you do get those amino acids in, it's like cravings start to clear, your mm -hmm. focus starts to really come back to life. And you're able to bring that, you know, sense of motivation and that doesn't require a lot of effort because you're filling in those gaps of those deficits mm -hmm. uh, that, that the amino acids really fill. So, yeah, so you can go to their website, you can go to drsjensen.com or you can go to the Perfect Aminos website and punch in Divine 10 to get 10% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with uh, Dr. Sonny Jensen, myself. How is everything today for you? Good. I'm excited about our conversation because it pertains to a conversation we had this morning about you wanting to go for a run. Yeah. And I very much put up my boundary and said no, because it's a few days before my period. I'm not going to go run in negative degrees right. and do that to my body. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Well, you know, what's funny. It's like you met, you had that conversation inside your head, obviously, because yeah. all I heard was I don't have the running gear for today's event. <laughs> true. This is true. I will say I felt a little bit of um, a FOMO afterwards. So these are all the things that I want to unpack today because right. I knew it wasn't right for me. But in my mind, I was thinking, okay, did I say no because I feel weak? Did I say no because I don't have the right gear? Did I say no because I'm actually listening to my body? Yeah, and I love it. I was listening to my As body. As you should, Sonia. Yes. I'm happy to hear that. That's Thank great. <laughs> so uh, to, to help us navigate our morning conversation, we've got an amazing, amazing doctor with us, PhD, Dr. Stacy Sims. And if you haven't checked out her podcast, it's phenomenal. It will just open your eyes to, to who she is, the message that she's really trying to share. It's called Women Are Not Small Men. And I wanted sort of, I want you to go check her stuff out. I'm going to say a little bit about her, but then I'm going to lead in with a quote that she dropped in that TED talk, which I thought was brilliant. So I'm just going to say that she's one of the top 50 visionaries of the running industry. Um, as, as mentioned by DMSE Sports, she's, she's a world changer in the paradigm in her field on sports nutrition, exercise physiology. She's contributing to the international research uh, environment uh, on the sport and what it means to be a female athlete in sort of this male dominated research space. And she's, she's just killing on so many different levels. And we're so excited to have her here uh, helping us, like I said, navigate our daily conversations around what, you know, Sonia should be doing to, to meet the extra exercise expectations that I have for myself. Um, but the quote was brilliant. And so, so I'm going to say it, and then let's just dive into that in your story and how you came to like really create a little bit of, um, um, I want to say like opposition to this quote and it went something like this. So why would, so this was, this was maybe you confronting, you know, why isn't there more uh, research on women and exercise and, and understanding a woman's cycle and all that stuff. And it, uh, the feedback maybe that you got, I think this is how I understood it was why we, why would we study women when we don't yet know enough about men? And uh, <laughs> so tell me what your thoughts are on that quote. And then let's just dive right in. Oh, uh, so Again, being the kid that grows up asking why all the time, and then I get into the academic world, and I'm wanting to know more about how to train properly and not get as tired. Because, you know, as a female athlete, you're always tired, you're getting stress factors, and you go to the physician, and they're like, oh, you just have to stop what you're doing. I'm like, that's not an answer. So when I got into exercise phys and trying to understand it, and then it's like I would get pushback across my entire career. Why do we want to study women when we don't know enough about men? And I'm like, wait a second, because I'm not a dude and neither are my teammates and neither are some of the women that I'm working with. And I know that we don't respond the same, but I want to know the science why. And so that kind of like became the bee in my bonnet through my entire career going, you know what, all these scientific designs and all these studies coming out are all done on men. And then they're not even looking through the female lens. They're not even understanding a female environment. They don't understand the psychological aspects, the hormonal perturbations, the way that we are driven or not driven, what motivates us. So nothing was taken into account for any of these studies. And so that's why I've been pushing my, my whole way of like, well, of course, we might not know enough about men, but we can have studies on men, we can have comparison studies, but we also have to have an equal amount of research done on women in a proper scientific design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a study that I quoted in my book. Um, and it was on menopause, like postmenopausal changes that happen specifically with cardiovascular disease. And there was not one woman in the study 
when they did this. And it baffles my mind. And I know often they talk about, well, we have too many fluctuations. Exactly. And that's why we need to study it more. So I think this conversation is so important. And I loved in the TED Talk that you brought it back to we need to have this conversation from like day one, when our children are going through puberty, or even before I find now having these conversations of like, you have to make different decisions in your life based on your physiology and what it needs. So I'm curious about your story in regards to your own body and how you felt that change within yourself once you started to really sink in with this rhythm that is innately already there and and bringing that or bridging that gap between the two worlds. Yeah, um, gosh, it's been a long kind of, I guess, circumnavigating and cross tangent and everything to get to where I am now. Because when I was a teenager, um, I was on the cross country team and I had primary amenorrhea. And by the time I was 17, I still hadn't gotten a period. And my mom brought me to a physician and sitting in that office, he didn't even talk to me at all. He looked directly at my mom, asked questions And she couldn't answer questions about me. And that was a point where I was like, wait, it's my body. Why are you asking my mother questions? And I, full disclosure, like growing up in San Francisco, I was early exposed to all the things that people think are now normal or trendy with equality and looking from in instead of looking out. Went to high school in the Haight-Ashbury area. So just painting the scene. So when I get this whole patriarchal, like really exposed to the patriarchal aspect of what medicine is, it really pissed me off. And that was right before I went to university. So then when I got into university and um, getting the pushback of like, they're throwing my results out and trying to understand why are you throwing my results out? Right. And like, by then my period had started and I was starting to feel the differences of how I'd feel on certain days showing up to training when I was on the crew team and then talking to other teammates around saying, oh yeah, well, I'm going to be flat in the boat. I'm not going to make my times because I'm a few days out for my period or it's that time of the month, but it was still very quiet, right? Because people would only talk about it in the locker room or we talk about it just when we are stretching as the eight in the boat and really starting to understand that we are different and we have these different fluctuations. And so as I started to try to dig into the research to understand it and not seeing it, it became this driving force of, well, if I feel this way, then other people have to feel this way. And if we have these contextual comments of it's ant flow that time of the month, or don't talk to her because she's moody, or it's a few days out for my period, I don't want to do anything. I was like, why do we have all these um, like suppressive actions against us on something that's natural? Because there are two absolutes in this world as a woman, you're going to go through puberty and you're going to go through menopause, right? And we don't talk about either end of the spectrum and it's still very quiet in the interim, right? And so it was just like really all of these little catchphrases and all these little experiences within the sports science and medical world of the patriarchal. And I'm not an overt feminist. I'm just talking from a historical perspective, really kind of honed into, wait a second, and why am I training a certain way? Why am I doing intervals? Why am I doing this when I feel not so great? So it was really the contextual aspect of the cultural push, as well as getting my period late and understanding what that felt like and applying that to the stress as well as training and then having the conversations across with other women to be like, okay, we got to understand this a bit more. Mm-hmm. So in regards to training, where do you feel like um, the boundary is? Because you know how there's also the mind that can show up and we may have the physical energy or we may have the ability, but then the mind can also come in and be like, well, no, you're, you're tired and have all this like conversation. So how can one discern between that and actual, you know, listening to what your physiology is telling you is that through looking at your cycle, knowing where you're at, what hormones are in action, and how can you differentiate between the two? Because there's so much 
cultural pushback on the period. And we've grown up in the whole era of that women are delicate flowers during their period. Like it's still endemic, right? We still hear girls who say, well, I can't do anything because my period started. And they'll use that as an excuse of getting out of PE. We'll hear it across the board, like swimmers won't get in. And so it's still that undercurrent. The way I really want to try to break that conversation within our head is I want people to have objective data. So this is why I'm like, you want to track your menstrual cycle. So you want to start on day one, the first day of spotting or bleeding and see how it goes across your entire cycle for up to three cycles. And you're writing down what your training is, how you feel, um, what maybe your sleep metrics are. So just getting as much objective data so that you can look over those two to three cycles and see some patterning. Because if you're always being told you can't do something on day one of your period, but you kind of physiologically feel like you can, but in your head, you're like, oh, I shouldn't because people tell me that I shouldn't go hard. But then you're seeing over the course of three cycles that actually, yeah, you can. Then it's like, okay, well, let's listen. But maybe on day 18 of your cycle, which is a few days after ovulation, you start to feel really flat. And in your head, you're like, why do I feel flat? Uh, I'm like, it doesn't make sense what's going on. But if you see this patterning, then you're like, oh, I'm always flat on that day. So I'm going to rejig my training because every woman's menstrual cycle is their own lived experience. So we have to know what the general physiology is and understand how these hormone perturbations can work for us. But we also have to put our own experiences into that because there are some women who have heavy menstrual bleeding and they don't know what that is, but they feel horrible the first few days of their cycle. So of course, I'm not going to tell them that they have to go out and do intervals. I might say, well, let's do a couple of 20 second um, intervals here and there just to get that growth hormone and anti-inflammatory response, but not a true workout. It's just to work with the body to dampen that inflammation and to start getting the body to understand that, yes, I don't have to have as an overt inflammatory process as what's happening at the moment. So it's really looking at the physiological aspects, knowing that low hormone, our body's really resilient to stress, our immune system is spot on, motivation, all the psychological components are fantastic for hitting it hard and really taking on that stress load. Then after ovulation, we're like, oh, okay, starting to get a little bit more steady state, maybe not so motivated. And then we get to the few days before our period starts where we're really getting that inflammatory response as hormones are dropping, our immune system has switched to a pro-inflammatory response. Motivation might not be there because of the interference with neurotransmitters. But then, you know, there are some women who feel bulletproof the day before their period starts. So I'm not going to tell them not to do anything because that means their hormones have already dropped and they're in a low hormone phase and they can hit it hard. So you have to understand those nuances, even though we know the general physiological responses across the menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I've got so many questions for you. And one, I also want to relate this to maybe the average woman who's not necessarily competing and whatnot. So would there be any adjustments um, based on what you said for, say, a woman who's just wanting to get healthy and just maybe start entering into the gym or, you know, or is it or is the same rule apply? It's the same. Like for it, it doesn't really matter what your activity level is. And it's really like the first and foremost is breaking through that sociocultural negativity that's around the menstrual cycle. Because I don't want anyone to think that there is a bad day to do anything, like especially if we're looking at having to do something on a particular day where we always feel flat. Like there are ways that we can mitigate that through nutritional changes, through hydration, through a more mindful practice to activate parasympathetic. So there isn't any negative day. So once we get that removed, it doesn't matter what your activity level is. It just is, okay, well, I am five or six days out from my period. I don't really feel like doing a hot yoga class. Maybe I shouldn't because my core temperature is up. I don't have as much heat tolerance. It's not going to feel good. So if you understand that, then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go to just a, a vinyasa class that's not heated or something like that. So it's just making the small, unique changes based on how you feel to make it better feeling for you, because then that perpetuates that, that positive self-talk and the positive motivation to keep going. Because every time we have some kind of negative experience, unfortunately, women tend to blame themselves for doing something wrong. Instead of looking, oh, maybe it's my physiology and I should be listening a little bit more to my body instead of all the negative chatter that's in my head from all the noise that's around us from the Fitspo and 
whatever else that's out there. Well, I think it's so interesting because it's so common we'll make a rule mm-hmm. without actually having any sort of evidence to back it up. So we can say, to your point, uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm I'm all the things like like the commercials on the TV are showing me that I'm not. And so I feel more of that. But you're really asking people, okay, women, she said it even in the TED Talk, turn, turn to your neighbor, let them know you have a period, turn to the other side, let them know you have a period. I love that. Brilliant, because you're actually asking people to to get to know themselves more more deeply, more intimately, like really track your cycle, understand, look at this over three months. You're putting the responsibility back on the in, on mm-hmm. the individual, so that you're, yeah. we're not going to just make you know uh, an idle rule based on what happened in one training session. Like this, mm-hmm. this is so important for people to really appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love the normalizing of just speaking about it. I remember having conversations just the other day with a friend and I was, I talk about periods all the time like with, without any filter or anything. And I could sense that she was trying to whisper. And I'm like, why are we whispering about this? You know, it's been, even if it is around the kids, like my kids know when I have my period, because they they see me shifting throughout the month on what I'm doing, what I'm eating, how I'm moving, and maybe how I'm being with them, it might change a little bit too. But I think we have to really normalize this conversation. And thank you for doing all yeah. for doing that and bringing that awareness. Thanks. Um, I think your kids should get together with my kid, because my kid is like, <laughs> I'm worried about my period coming, mom. And like, she's loud about it. But a lot of her friends are like, <gasps> mm, like mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah. So another question I had was just, I mean, here, let's take it back to competition. I wanted to invite more women in the conversation when I was saying, okay, let's just talk about someone who's not necessarily competing. But I'm also very interested in in this sort of competition world uh, that, that many, you know, esteemed athletes uh, are doing. And that is like, you're obviously training according to your cycle and, and they really like becoming more intuitive about that, changing the dynamics of the workout based on where you are, which I think is brilliant. And then here comes a competition, which is on set day, you know, you show up or you don't uh, to, to this, you know, depending on you could be anywhere in your cycle. How much, you know, variation in performance for the individual do you think is happening? Because obviously women aren't all cycling, you know, as men would like them to on this 28 day cycle. Okay, great. All the women are going to be on day one here. And, you know, right. like, can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Because I think it's fascinating. And even just like on outcomes. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like you can't change a key Olympic event according to your cycle. Right. So there's a difference between training and performance. And I've said this before because we'll hear a lot of chatter in on like Twitter and social media and stuff about there's no difference in menstrual cycle phase. It's like, well, if you look at the performance metrics that come out of the lab, sure, because we're doing one point in time. And there are a lot of other variables that can affect performance, the psychological state, nutritional status. Um, a lot of it has to do with uh, like, do you believe that you can hit a PR or not? So if we look at the other variables that affect performance, they supersede the, the physiological hormonal perturbations. When we're talking about training itself, it's being able to leverage stress resilience where your body is. So this is why people are training according to the menstrual cycle so that they can get better training adaptations without injury and illness. So if you're training harder and you're getting a better training adaptation, you're going to get fitter. If you're working on technique when your body's a little bit more cognitively tired, then when you are able to either have to perform on the day when you're a little bit more cognitively tired or you get to perform on a day where your body's raring to go, then technique is spot on. So the other thing about training according to the menstrual cycle, then you can pick out the days where you're like, oh gosh, my my key event is going to occur on the day where I feel absolutely horrible. But now you have lead time to try things like branched chain amino acids, hydration, doing more mindfulness, maybe um, doing a little bit more parasympathetic responses, um, looking at how we're going to mitigate the estrogen effect on serotonin. So there's all these other things that you can do that's going to level the hormonal playing field on that actual day. When we're talking about team training, which is a question comes up a lot. Hey, I'm a coach. I'm training a soccer team. How do I menstrual cycle phase with all these different women who are across the board on their cycle? It's like, well, we can do that in the gym easy. Because we know that there are circuits within the gym where you can't have all the soccer players doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. So, of course, you break them up into circuits. So, instead of breaking them up positionally, you can break them up according to where they are in their cycle. And 
as a coach, you can have a coaching platform to see where everyone is. So it's advanced information because you can feed forward to see where people are. But then if you're on the field and you know where people are on in their menstrual cycle and whether or not they perform well or not on that day, then you're not going to make key decisions based on that one performance on that day. You're going to say, oh, okay, well, my star player is not on right now because she, you know she's always a little bit off on day 23. And so it gives more information, that objective information back to the coach. So he doesn't necessarily have to change what's going on on the field, but is more aware of how the players are responding. So it's not making all those one key decisions. And this is something that we worked quite a bit with um, the rugby sevens here, where they would have to do a Bronco test or some other performance test to see if they were going to be a starter or not. And the women would always be afraid of, where they were. So they were all using OCs or they're using some other kind of pharmaceutical so that they could level the playing field. But as we started talking about relative energy deficiency in sport and stress reactions, and they got off them, then they're worried about, okay, well, what happens if I'm judged on this one Bracco test, but then getting the coaches educated to understand, okay, well, maybe we're going to take the next or the past three instead of just this one. And so it really opened up the women to understand that they could be themselves and they didn't have to be afraid and they still pushed as hard as they could, but knowing they weren't going to be judged on that one performance, that one test. Yeah. Amazing. So how do you differentiate for the women that are on birth control or maybe they've done the shot like Depo-Provera or there's IUDs? Like how do you then support these women still understanding because they still have a rhythm, there's still a cycle, but it's being masked by yeah. these hormones. Yep. So I still have them track and we know that with an IUD, either copper or a progestin only, that if you use basal body temperature, then you can detect ovulation and dial in your phases. We're looking at oral contraceptive pill. Of course, it downregulates your natural ovarian cycle, but we see patterns within the monophasic, like the three active pill week, where with each progressive week that you're on the active pill, your recovery gets worse and worse. So instead of looking at low hormone phase versus high hormone phase, we look at active pill packs. So the first five days of the active pill pack is very similar to the early follicular phase of, of naturally cycling women where you're very robust for a, um, you know taking on stress and load. And then the next pill pack, you're starting to get a little bit less recovery. You need a little bit more. We start to see a perturbation in heart rate variability. So we're like, okay, well, this is where we need to drop the intensity and do more steady state and, and maybe more technique work and maybe not so many heavy loads. But it's the last week of the active pill pack, which is very similar to the late luteal phase where we're like, okay, recovery is not very good. Your HRV has decreased significantly. So we need to look at this as recovery. But on the second day of the placebo pill, boom, back to being stress resilient. So it's really bookending the active pill pack with a high intensity. And then in the middle, it's sort of looking at steady state into technique and then boom, high intensity. So again, understanding what kind of medication they're on and then them tracking how they feel can also give insight. With the depot, we don't have enough information yet. So we don't actually know how that affects recovery metrics or power performance. So again, this is where it's really important for women to track against sleep and look at HRV. So they can also start to see patternings as the depot starts to wear off. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering too, because we know that... Um, Oral contraceptives do upregulate SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, which interfere with testosterone. I'm curious, like how much of an impact is that playing on women who are using oral contraceptives in their performance or recovery or muscle development or skill development or all yeah. of Yeah. And so what we're looking really is at the progestin component and what generation of the progestin is. Because we can leverage the second generation progestin as a power enhancement. So we're seeing that by the third week of the active pill pack with a second generation progestin, we can really get into some power-based and fast metrics. So understanding that with regards to sex hormone binding globulin and testosterone, there hasn't been any evidence that it, it actually affects 
muscle or affects performance. But we do know that there's a significantly higher amount of oxidative stress when women are on the oral contraceptive pill. So we have to be very cognizant of that. And again, it drops off during the um, the Zero withdrawal phase. week. Yep, yeah, the withdrawal week. So this is where we can put in more of that oxidative stress so that the body can be like, oh, okay, I can leverage okay. that and I can adapt to it. So yeah, it's looking more at the progesterone component. And then for my power athletes, I also want to know, are they using a 20 or 30 microgram dose of estradiol? Because we know with a higher amount of estradiol, they put on more muscle mass, but they won't get a subsequent strength increase as well. So then it's kind of like dead weight. And for my power lifters, that's super important to understand. So it's like, let's see what you're using and how it's affecting you and how we can leverage those hormones if you have to be on an OC. If you don't have to be on an OC for particular health reasons, then let's look at getting on an IUD um, because, you know, one, it lessens bleeding or stops the bleeding. We can still track your cycle. It's a fit and forget. And if you don't want to use an IUD, then we can look at using maybe the progestin only pill. So there are other options instead of that automatic response that so many girls get when they go to their GP with irregular cycles when they're young, which is always the norm and people don't understand that, or they have heavy menstrual bleeding. There are other things that you can do with heavy menstrual bleeding and also skin, right? So there's so many teenage girls who go on an OC because of skin. I'm like, there are fantastic dermatologists that can help you with that. And you don't have to do uh, a synthetic hormone for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fantastic naturopaths like, like Sonia here, they help. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Integrated holistic so way. Things. It's amazing. Um, yes. So many yeah. things. I'm, I'm curious about second generation versus first, because I know the progestins, they're coming from testosterone in those hormones. So I was just curious why you're choosing second over first, because are they not similar in that regard? Metabolize a little bit differently. And there's some new research that's coming out that is looking specifically at the difference between the progestins. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing that the second generation is the one that really enhances power. The mechanism behind that, we're not 100% sure yet. Mm -hmm. So this research has just come out in the past year and a half. So we still have to dig in a bit more to the actual um, mechanics behind it. But for the most part, we're looking more at the gut microbiome and how it's metabolized and maybe the bioavailability is lower with a first generation than a second generation. Not sure yet. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I can't help but think that, you know, one of the key things you're teaching here is also exercise variation and, and, you know, in the, in the long short of it is, is that this is actually going to enhance performance no matter what, because you're creating, you know, new neural circuits, you're, you're integrating your physiology, your hormonal system with your, your exercise. I mean, there's really only benefit here. It's just a lack of education, I think. And so like, how's it going for you in this, in this department with educating more people? Are they kind of like, oh, it's too complicated. Just, I'm just going to do my head every day. Like, don't, don't give me that. But you brought up some interesting case studies where, where these people were just doing, you know, what they always do. Like people are creatures of habit. They'll, they'll just keep doing the same thing because they got results at some point in time and they never stop. And then they're sort of banging their heads against the metaphorical wall, so to speak. So um, how, how's it going in this, this education? Are people really like, okay, are they starting to get it? Um, and, and what's that exercise variation, you know, look like for you? And, and I guess it depends on the sport too, but just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So younger generation is really excited about it. Like we're looking at, you know, less than 20 or less than 40 year olds are like, yes, finally we're empowered. We understand our bodies. It's, we're able to talk about it. We have these apps now we're looking at femtech who's looking in the female environment instead of the male environment. But once you hit the early forties, people are like, Hmm. But then we're getting into perimenopause, right? And the conversation around perimenopause and the fact that their bodies aren't responding to training and nutrition as much as they'd like. So then this is where you have to have the full education about what's happening with the hormone ratio changes, what's happening with the gut microbiome, why you need to do more strength and less um, like high or moderate intensity work, why we need to look at doing true high intensity interval training and true sit training, not this 45 minute orange theory or, you know, mm-hmm. F45 class, which doesn't do anything. So it, there is definitively, uh, I don't want to say an age discrepancy, but there is 
kind of a generational aspect. And a lot of it is that cultural thing coming in, right? Because when you're in your 40s, you grew up with the end era of the supermodels who are all like, oh, yeah, I don't have to eat and I'm not going to eat and I don't have to exercise. But if I do exercise, it's long, slow, calories in, calories out. But the younger generation has grown up with the let's be empowered where um, strong is the new skinny and we want to eat. We want to eat for what we're doing and we want to talk about periods and we want to you know bring everybody in on the conversation. So they're, that's exciting. I'm excited about that because it's been so long of sitting around trying to be like period, period, period. It's an ergogenic aid. It's a marker of health. And women who are in the younger vocal aspect are really into it. So now it's the mission to get the 40 plus set on the same page, be able to talk about perimenopause, be able to talk about menopause and not be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious. One more question, please jump in. How, what have you noticed just switching continents is, is what's the education like? I mean, you come from a place that's, that's probably one of the most progressive places as far as like exercise, nutrition and adopting new trends in California over to New Zealand. What's, what's that been like in the, in the education and the, and the understanding? The cultures are really different where in New Zealand, everyone's like, Oh, just give it a go. Like you'll have corporations are like, let's do a corporate 5k and people are like, oh, I don't really run. But then their, their workmates would be like, come on, we can just go walk it. Doesn't matter. So it's more about, okay, just give it a go. But in the States, there's that super competitive, like we got to go hard. We have to go hard every day. The culture in New Zealand, either love it or hate it is no one wins, no one loses. And they teach us early on. And, and so to me, I'm like, mm, that feeds forward into like work life where how are it's you going like to be competitive? Participation awards. Right. I hate it. Like, I'm going to say that full disclosure as American, I hate it because I see how it impacts education where people don't want to be better than anyone else. Um, they call it the tall poppy syndrome here. But when we're talking about like menstrual cycle health and mental health, there's a big push here in New Zealand to talk about, especially mental health and how um, like the fluctuations of the menstrual cycle can affect depression, which is fantastic. But there's still that taboo stuff because people think not here in New Zealand, but in the States, because the period shows a fallibility, right? If so, if we're looking at what it means to be successful in that male dominated sport and fitness space, it's not being fallible. It's being strong, it's being powerful, powerful, not being weak, keeping up with the guys. So when you start bringing periods into the conversation, then it shows a little bit of fallibility, except for some really fantastic role models who are like, my period is when I feel the strongest. So that conversation is starting to be had mm. where here it's more about the health aspect of it. Mm. And we're going to do a lot of physical activity just because we're just going to try it out but it's not the competitive. So it's been, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, where I go back to the States quite a bit because almost all the stuff I do is in the States, I identify with that culture and then I come home and I get very frustrated sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, the contrast. Yeah, we often teach around just um, within like male and female physiology from an energetic perspective, there's like the yin and yang. And I think during a cycle, it's like we're either accessing the yin or accessing the yang within the female physiology, but sometimes that gets confused and we get stuck in one cycle over another. So when we're in that competitiveness, we're definitely in the yang and then we forget about the yin and we forget that there's actually a lot of strength in that softness too. We just have to learn how to access it and to, we don't have to feel shame around it or anything like that, but it's like, how do we access it and really tune in and strengthen ourselves inner, like I find in that last half of our cycle, we're strengthening the, the inner ability. And then it comes outwards when the estrogen is showing up or when like the hormones are low during our period. So the more we understand that there's strength in all of it, the easier it becomes to have those conversations. And another element of that, that I know you touched on too, is the nutritional changes during those times and how nutritionally we have to be different too, and how we're eating and what we're eating. So I'm curious with your athletes, are you also training them to look at, okay, these are the nutrients that your body needs during this phase. And then these are the nutrients needed maybe before your period and during. The biggest thing with athletes that I find is we need to get them to eat more because they listen to all the things out there like intermittent fasting or the low carb, high fat. And so they're not eating enough. 
like so many women that come to me initially are like, my performance is stagnating. I'm putting on some fat. I'm really demotivated. It's because they're under fueling by a thousand calories a day. So first and foremost, we do that. But once we get that, then we're like, okay, well, now we have to look at protein because protein is super important, not only for neurotransmitters and recovery, but also for so many functions like having a really lush um, endometrial lining. And we have to look at how we're going to mitigate the fact that you're training so hard and breaking down things. And we know there's a 12% increase in protein needs in the luteal phase. We also know that your body can't access carbohydrate very well. So we need to eat more carbohydrates and more protein in the luteal phase and your metabolism's up. So it's good. So it's getting people to kind of understand those nuances Mm -hmm. and bring it back to performance and recovery, because that's how people will listen. If you're like, oh, you're under eating by a thousand calories a day, no one's going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to sit down and have another full meal. Like, what are you (laughs) crazy? And it's like, well, if we put more calories in before and after training and have you eat more during your long sessions, boom, there's a thousand calories, but now your body composition is better. You're able to hit higher intensities, polarize your training and you're sleeping better and you're not having hypoglycemic effects overnight what will wake you up and then you know over the course of a month when they start putting calories back in over that course of the month and start feeling better getting better training metrics and better performance they're like why have i not been eating before this point mm-hmm. yeah it gives so much freedom too i found as soon as i started eating with um, my rhythm so i was vegetarian for a long time but my youngest son came out of carnivore so I had to adapt and start cooking meat again. And then I kind of said to myself one day, I'm like, I'm just going to start eating meat in the last half of my cycle and see how that fe- feels. And we we do intermittent fasting. We do all of that. But then I started to do it according to my cycle. And that's when I started more, seeing more lean muscle. And I mean, I do a 20 minute workout every morning. I'm, you know, we're yoga teachers. Like we, we do a lot of variation. And I found that's when I started seeing more results when I started eating a lot more carbs, even bread, everyone. Yay. I'm eating bread <laughs> Yay! Um, and more protein <laughs> in that last half. And I find I'm leaner now yeah. than before when I was not eating the bread and not doing that. So I'm eating more, but more and leaner. Str- and stronger too. And like stronger. Yeah. You mentioned something about your skirt. Okay. Right? Yes. I had this skirt that I bought in my twenties when I used to work out a lot and it stopped fitting my behind because of children, because yeah. my fat was gone. And I put it on the other day, I was going to give it away. And then one day I was like, I'm just going to put it on and see what happens. And it fit. Yeah. And it's because nice. of these changes that I made. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it doesn't have like, everyone's like, Oh, you work with elite athletes. How does that work? I'm like, you know what? I work with elite athletes, but for the most part, it's education around the general recreational yes. woman who maybe has 20 minutes or 10 minutes here and there. And it's like, if you really are listening to your body and working with the stress resilience, you get so much more out of those 10 or 20 minutes. It's not about setting aside an hour and a half to go to the gym because in our lifestyles now with kids and work, we don't have that. So it's like, let's make the most of it. Like, what do we do? Let's really look at, at polarizing, listening to our bodies. And you get really fantastic results without having to train like an elite athlete because elite athletes themselves are not on the healthy spectrum either. Cause that's an extreme. We want to look at how are we going to be right in the bell curve of being healthy, being active, having longevity and the extremes of not doing anything and doing too much. We can ignore those because that's not where, where we are in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you brought up the point earlier about oxidative stress and just, you know, it, we can tip the scale on, on with our activity in one way or another, and that can lead to that, you know, chronic inflammatory state and dysregulation in our brain. Um, yeah. One thing that, that so just because Sonia brought it up, you brought it up just around, uh, not that we need to spend a ton of time on what's the optimal diet, but what do you do for, for vegetarian, vegan athletes? Um, it's not that it can't be done. I mean, we're usually recommending you throw in the essential amino acids as a tool, especially if they're not going to get it through their diet, but how do you help, you know, the elite athlete to, to the, you know, the, the session, the 20 minute session mom, you know, that's going through this experience with that ethical standard that they created for themselves with regards to their diet? Yeah. Um, so I've been plant-based since I was 14 and I started because again, growing up in San Francisco, knowing driving down the five to LA smelling Hollister and all that. So you learn early and, I think I've had it quiet until past year and a half where people on podcasts are like, what you, what? So when I talk to athletes, I go, okay, you have a choice. We, we want to include more plant-based stuff for gut health, 
but we also know that can fill you up too much and we need protein. So people who are vegetarian and who can still do dairy or eggs, then yeah, we put that in and around. But for people who are vegan, we look at using like a lot of tempeh for fermentation. We look at using seeds and nuts. We look at using combination of pea protein, isolate and hemp protein powders if we need to do processed stuff or just getting more of that and the nutrient timing around it. When people are still not hitting what we want them to hit, then we look at using fermented essential amino acids. And we put that in, um, like we put that in the tea, we put that in their uh, drink that they're using during um, their training, especially women, because we tend to go through more amino acids. So it's getting people to understand it's the overall quality. And if we're looking at a lot of um, vegetarian and, and, and vegan athletes are on the low end of normal for iron, then we supplement according to the menstrual cycle. When hepcidin is low, we supplement every other day up to ovulation. And then like, oh my gosh, I'm actually on the middle range of normal now. And, and so it is all about looking menstrual cycle. What can we supplement across the menstrual cycle as well as the nutrient timing? Um, and I'm always hounding protein, regardless of age, because women just don't eat enough. And I don't think most people understand that the recommended daily allowance for protein is based on sedentary old men for women, because they're like, oh, well, a sedentary old man has similar body fat to a 20 year old woman who doesn't do much. So, of course, they have to have the same amount of protein. I'm like, no, 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 not at all. That, so that yeah, it's so archaic. It's, it's, it is it's hilarious. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I was like, yeah, and that's where the phrase women are not small men really <laughs> comes into play. <laughs> women are not old sedentary men either. Right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, so I got another this this we don't have to spend a ton of time here, but it's it's on people's minds. And it, it, it first stirred right, right in your opening uh, with your TED talk. But there's a lot of transgender athletes, you know, that are that are coming in and competing in, in the female world. They grew up hormonally men and not that like, again, we don't spend a ton of time here, but, you know, they're bypassing this whole menstrual, you know, cycle balancing thing that they've never had to know. Um, just throwing out there, what kind of thoughts are you having around this being an athlete and, and seeing what's going on in the world? Yeah, I get very frustrated with all the NSOs and sporting bodies bringing it back down to hormones yeah. because it's not a testosterone level. We know it's not about testosterone because there's different aspects of how it's aromatized and how it affects things. Um, if we bring it down to sex differences at birth, then that's where we can start to have a little bit more of a conversation, looking at how having XXY or, or XY versus XX can come into play within the high elite performance. Um, the one thing about sport is it shouldn't be exclusionary, but we haven't had enough robust conversations aside from the testosterone conversation to really see how we can have it inclusionary to make it feel fair for everyone. Um, so I work closely with a sociologist and she's amazing. And she's very much in this space of talking about transgendered athletes and performance. And I sit on the fence there where I have some of my, um, ex-teammates who are now coaches or still racing at a high level were like, it's not fair. And then I look on the sociocultural side, I'm like, well, it's really not fair to tell someone who's transgender that they can't be a woman because they've identified that way. They feel that way in all intents and purposes, they are. But we have to look again at those sex differences. And that's where that conversation needs to be held. It's not about estrogen mm -hmm. and progesterone, testosterone, and how all those things affect. Because if you look at women who have PCOS, they have higher levels of testosterone. Are you going to tell them they can't compete? Mm -hmm. So it's very much a new conversation that is not going in the right direction right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love how you bring mm -hmm. the nuance of the conversation and just sort of open, open the dialogue for it because yeah, it's, it's a, it's a critical conversation mm -hmm. because it's happening so much and there are, you know, medals being won and people are upset and on both sides. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. bringing it back down to that, it just, it makes it less heavy. For sure. It does. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it yeah. simplifies it the way you described it. It just simplifies it and then people can actually have these open conversations to know how we can move forward because this isn't going away. Mm -hmm. No, we have absolutely to move forward not with it. So yeah, it's just finding a way that we can do that all together. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. 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 So in conclusion, we usually ask this one question at the end um, of all of our guests, and it's more of a bigger picture look at your own 
impact in the world and the life that you're leading. So tomorrow, if tomorrow was the last day for you on this earth, what is the one message you want to leave behind or the impact that you want to or the imprint that you want to leave behind on the world? Uh, I think I'm very selfish in the fact that it's not so much world as it is my daughter, where I want her to have a better experience navigating and having a better experience within sport and within work and everything where you don't have a male boss as an adult call you a girl. Hey, girls, let's do this. It's like the language and being able to have the empowerment to turn around and be like, I'm not two. I'm 20 something, you know? So I think the impact on the world that I really want is opening up not only that cultural conversations to get people to understand the language that they're using, how disempowering it is, but on the other side, have women come together instead of going, well, I'm on an OC, I'm naturally cycling, I'm transgender. Like we can't have those misstep conversations because it devalues. So I want women to have a, a unified voice to say, hey, we're women, we have different hormone profiles, but we need and demand the same kind of research and, and understanding the outcomes to enhance our life and longevity. And then on this side of things, having the empowerment for the younger generation to come up and be like, like, hey, wait a second. Historically, it's been okay, but we're in a new place. We've moved forward and we need to embrace the fact that we're not in this tight patriarchal lens. So, yeah, I guess it's all about language and conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I words love that you so brought powerful. back your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, yeah. 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 Often when we ask that question at the end, I often wonder what I would say. And, and it's, it's so it's so true that that I mean obviously that's the direct communication goes down to the next generation which is your daughter mm-hmm. right and uh, yeah it's a absolutely brilliant brilliant conversation um, people are going to want to follow you you know find your resources uh, you got some new courses that you're just releasing um, please you know share where people can obviously they can check out the TED talk that's pretty easy but you know everything else please share. Yeah, so uh, the drstacysims.com website, our website, it has pretty much all the stuff that we're doing. You can sign up for our newsletter. It's free, but it gives you context of like where, when our sales are, what our micro learning topics are, or you can just explore the website. And we do have a 50% off on all of our micro learnings right now because my goal is for people to understand, like if they go into a supermarket somewhere and they're like, oh, I need to buy protein powder, but I don't know anything about it. If they take a $30 micro learning class and then they go to the grocery store, they could pick it up, read the label and be like, this is crap, but this one is not. That's my goal mm-hmm. with these. But if you really want to dig in more like with um, peri and postmenopause and training and nutrition, then we have a bigger course for that. If you want to look uh, across the lifespan of what happens from puberty all the way through, regardless if you're an, an athlete, like a, a elite athlete, or if you're a coach or someone who's just trying to stay healthy, then we have the really big women are not small men course. Um, but we have lots of things going on. So if you check out the website that gives you the overview, and if you're like, yeah, that's too much time investment, then just follow us on social because we put out tidbits of information on Instagram, it's Dr. Stacey Sims. And then also, if you still use Facebook, we're on Facebook at Dr. Stacey Sims as well. And then tell, tell us about your book too. Mm-hmm. Roar. We have two, oh, we have yeah, two, yeah. actually. We have two, we have, two books, amazing. Yeah. So Roar came out in 2016. And that is like the big overview of everything it means to be a, a female in this day and age and what to do. But we actually are currently revamping it for a second edition that comes out early next year. Um, And then we just published and released in May, Next Level. And Next Level is all about peri and postmenopause and all of the questions that we got from the one chapter of Roar. And all the women are like, well, what about us when we're not having regular cycles and we're starting to encounter all these changes? Then Next Level goes all the way into you know, nutrition, exercise changes, gives a, an overview of menopause hormone therapy and alternatives and questions to ask your physician and just things to be aware of as you navigate the peri and postmenopause debate. Amazing. Thank you. I love that. I love that you're just, you know, spearheading this conversation. It's so, so important. I I mean, I've learned a ton just on this podcast as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 Thank you for all the work that you do. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. And then thanks for having me too, because now this reaches even more people. So we keep continuing the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bless you. 
Thanks. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll see you again uh, yeah. sooner than later. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.